This message was recorded at the Redeemed Christian Church of God Salvation Center, where we're maximizing potential and fulfilling destiny. We pray you'll be blessed as you listen to the following message. Christ, thank you, Father. We worship you tonight. We adore you tonight. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. You are the teacher of teachers. You are the teacher himself. Therefore, teach us. Open our eyes. Give us illumination. Give us understanding. Reveal Christ to our hearts today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Can we put our hands together for Jesus, please? You can be seated. We have a few grounds to cover tonight. So we're going to get right into it. Praise the Lord. I want to welcome everyone joining us via YouTube and Facebook. You are welcome tonight to Bible study. And the topic we are looking at today is a very important topic, very important subject. The outline, by the way, is already uploaded to the church app. So you can just quickly, um, you know, uh, just go to the church app and you'll find the outline for tonight's Bible study there. Please feel free at any time to interject, to intercept, to interrupt, to make con con comments, contributions, and uh, also to ask questions. Praise the Lord. Bible study, we are all studying together. And we trust the Holy Spirit to teach us in the name of Jesus Christ. The topic we are studying tonight is a very interesting topic because it is one of the pillars and the foundations of the faith. I hope you know that this building that we are in now has a foundation. The foundation of this building, though invisible to us, is actually the one carrying the whole building. Foundations are very important because they are the ones that will determine everything about a building. I remember years ago going to visit a building site and the person was saying, this is the sitting room, this is the living room, this is the bedroom. There were no walls, there were no beds. But already in the foundation, the schematics and the outline for what the building will look like, it's already in the foundation. So when you look at the foundation, you can tell what kind of building it is. In fact, you can tell from a foundation what height the building is and you can also tell from the foundation whether the building will survive. Something came to my mind tonight. I recall a conversation I had with some friend, with a couple friends of ours years ago. They were emigrating to Canada, and she is a banker, and he's into business. He's a construction person, an engineer. And then they said that the, the, the Canadians said to them that there are three professions that regardless of where you study them from, when you come into their, that country, into that jurisdiction, you will have to relearn it again. And they said the first one is law. And I can relate with that because each country has its own different constitution. Does that make sense? And the second one is medicine. I cannot relate to that because each area has their own unique diseases. In fact, in Africa, what we study is what is mainly called tropical medicine. So when you come into another space, there are standards, there are laws, there are diseases, there are things you deal with that it's important to relearn. The third one was the shocking one. They said elementary school teacher. And I was wondering, I said, I asked them, because he was explaining to us, I said, the first two I can understand, the last one, how? Elementary school teacher. And he said, well, they consider that in the entire educational value chain, the elementary school teacher occupies the most important place. I said, wow. Talk to me. There's something I need to learn here. I said, how come? I was expecting the college professor with a BSc and an MAC and an MA and then a PhD and a DSc. I said, no, the elementary school teacher, simply because the elementary school teacher is the one who lays the foundation for the education of every child. And every other person that comes afterward merely build on what they have laid. And so if the elementary school teacher builds a wrong or a faulty foundation, 
It therefore means that the superstructure, the educational progress of that child will be impaired. They will never really get to the zenith. They will never really get to the citadel. They will never really attain to the height that they are supposed to simply because the person who was saddled with the responsibility to lay the foundation did not do a proper job. The topic we are studying tonight is repentance. And repentance, please open with me to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Hebrews 6, 1. I'm reading from verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. The King James uses the word perfection, but in the original language, the word is simply describes maturity. Let us go on to maturity. Let us mature. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith towards God, doctrine number two, of doctrine of baptism, three, of laying on of hands, four, of resurrection from the dead, five, and of eternal judgment, six. And this will we do if God permits. So the inspired writer of the book of Hebrews tells us the six principles or the six aspects of the foundation of the faith in Christ. And if number one, one, the number one he, he mentions is repentance from dead works. And as you go through this study, we go through it tonight, you will understand why that is an important aspect of the foundation. In fact, if the foundation is not properly laid, if this concept, if this principle, if this operation of repentance is not properly laid, in the life of a believer, what it simply means is that that person will not have what it takes to go on to perfection, to go on to maturity. It means their growth will be stunted and they will get to a point in their development in Christ that they will plateau. Those of us who did geography, we know what a plateau is. It's something that rises, but it flattens you know, and that is it. It doesn't go on to the crescendo. It doesn't go on to any height. It just reaches a particular height and it stops there. So repentance from dead works is one of the foundational principles of the doctrines of Christ. Can anybody mention one or two others? Quick pop quiz. Can anybody mention one or two others? Huh? Is there in this? Is there? Is there? I just read it for you in Hebrews 1 and verse 2. I just read one. I did one. I did two. I did three. So, can anybody mention two? Two others. Laying on of hand. Thank you, sir. Somebody else from my left side. Huh? Hebrews 6 1. Repentance towards God, repentance on dead works, faith towards God, baptism, laying on of hands, eternal judgment. So any of this, but there are six major, should we say pillars of foundation markers that are of the faith. And each of these has to be well laid in the life of the believer if that believer is to grow, is to mature. Remember, God's goal for us is maturity. God's growth for us is what? Maturity. When the Colossians church were squibbling over, you know, simple things, Paul said, don't you know that we shall judge angels? <laughs> he said, is there nobody matured among you that can adjudicate over your, your differences? You know, why must you go to the law court? Are there nobody that has enough wisdom, enough maturity that can, you know, adjudicate among? So God's goal for us, like the parent, the desire of every parent is that their children will what? grow, will mature, praise God. And when they mature, they are able to do what? Handle greater responsibility. So we want to define what is repentance? What is repentance? Repentance simply means to have a change of mind. 
Repentance simply means to have a change of mind, but that change of mind must first be followed. Must first, there must be firstly godly sorrow. And it is that godly sorrow that leads to repentance. I want us to read a scripture from 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. 2 Corinthians 7 10. Can you please open there? We're going to read it because it's our linchpin scripture. For godly sorrow walketh, that word walketh means it produces repentance. So there, will, there is no repentance except there is first what? Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow produces or walketh repentance to salvation. Can you see the steps? how we arrive at the place or the experience of salvation. That the first thing that the Holy Spirit puts in the heart of a penitent person is godly sorrow. And what godly sorrow does when the walking of godly sorrow produces repentance and when repentance, repentance therefore produces what? Salvation. So you cannot have someone who is bonafidely, sorry to use that English word, bonafidely, authentically saved if they have not experienced godly sorrow. That is their sorrow over their sins, sorrow over their lifestyle, the perversion, the rebellion that produces repentance and ultimately produces salvation. Are we still here? Are we still here? So salvation does not just happen. In chemistry, water is H2O. You will not have H2O if you don't have two, two parts of hydrogen mixing with a part of oxygen to give us what? Water. There has to be a process or, if you will, a, some series of steps that takes place before salvation happens. And this scripture is very explicit. It says it is godly sorrow that walketh repentance unto salvation, not to be repented of. It means God, Godly sorrow is not something we put aside. He said, but the sorrow of the world produces death or walketh death. So here it also introduces a counterpart to godly sorrow. There is a false sorrow that is what you call human regret. You know, human regret that produces guilt. It does not ultimately produce salvation. It produces condemnation. But the sorrow that the Holy Ghost puts within the heart of a person produces repentance that leads to salvation. So you have to understand that when the, the, the enemy also has his own counterpart of sorrow, people wallow in pity. People wallow in, in, you know, this such deep sadness that leads to depression. That also leads to sometimes people then can take it to a point where they, they you know, they just say, let them end their lives. You know, that leads to suicide. That sorrow is not the one we're talking about. That sorrow is not, does not produce repentance. The genuine repentance to now embrace the word of God and says, Lord, from today I choose to be a child of God. I choose to do things differently. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do. So the meditation is to bring you to the place of observation so you can do. In other words, you can initiate action. You can take actions that will produce success and change. But that comes out of meditation. Meditation, that means your mind is now, you know, the Hebrew word for it is the, it's, it's a veterinary word. It's, it's to chew the cord. It's what some ruminants, it's, it's what some animals do. They, they, they take in grass and then they ruminate on it until they are able to release the digestive whatever in the grass that they have eaten. So you notice say, with cows, they are just eating grass. A time comes, they sit down, and they begin to regurgitate it. 
and they ruminate. That's what the English word is, to ruminate. And when they ruminate, they are able to then extract the good and the value that comes from it. Are we still here? So what we mean by repentance? How do we know someone has repented? When somebody has been doing evil, feels sorrow about it, changes his mind about it and decides not only to stop doing it, but to actually start doing the opposite of the evil he has been doing before. It is then, it is, he is said to have repented. So we have said that what produces that repentance is sorrow, is godly sorrow. I remember the, the particular day that I gave my life to Christ. You know, they had been inviting me for Christian meetings, and every time they would try to convince me that I was a sinner. But I was never convinced. <laughs> In fact, there were meetings where they, you know how they can pressure you and you come out for altar call. You know, during that our time, there was a movie called Burning Hell. If you are, if you are an old timer, you know that movie in the 80s. And in the early 90s, it was all over. There is nobody who watched that movie that did not come out. Because nobody wants to burn in hell. So the day I went to watch it, I also came out. Because I don't want to burn in hell. You know, but after you come out, then no change happened. Because the confession, even though you said it, did not come from the place of sorrow and conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I remember going to, to, in second year in college, the day I gave my life to Christ, I went there, and a lady sang a song. For the first time, I saw myself as a sinner. I saw my state, that I was filthy, that I was horrible, that my sin was hideous. People had tried to tell me, but I can't, for the first time, I saw what they had been trying to tell me that I never saw. And then in that state of sorrow, Lord, forgiveness, repentance came. Lord, I just forgive me. The blood of Jesus, I received repentance. I confess, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And I receive pardon through the blood of Jesus. And salvation happened. So that godly sorrow, that conviction, that conviction, you know, I read a book some time ago. If you read Robert Sladen's book, God's Generals, there is a particular one he has on the revivalists. He has it on Feeney. He has it on um, uh, this, 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 this um, grandfather in the faith that died a few years ago, Billy Graham. He has it on Ora Roberts. He has those guys. And some of those guys, you will discover that one of the major things, anointings they carry was the anointing of repentance. In fact, there was a particular one among them who entered into a factory. He had not preached one word. But he entered into a factory, and as he was walking in the factory, people were breaking down, confessing their sins, and giving their life to Christ. He had not preached a sermon. Just that anointing that convicts the human heart and exposes, or if you will, reveal to that human heart the condition and the state of that heart. Even the scripture tells us in Jeremiah, it says the heart of a man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? It means that you and I, without the help of the Holy Ghost, we don't even know the state of our own heart. It is the reason somebody says, I can never do this. And he will swear, he will say he will never do it, but when he gets the opportunity, he will do worse than the people he's criticizing. And as at the time he's saying it, he's sincere. I, I know if it's me, I won't do it. If it's me, I won't do it. But put him in the shoes, put him in that state, then his heart will now be revealed, will now be exposed. So that's what repentance is, is when we turn when we change our mind. You see, the word of God gives us a photograph of the new person God wants us to be. Remember the angel went to Gideon, threshing wheat in a wine press to hide it from the media. I mean, he was doing it in fear. And the angel of the Lord said, came to him and said, Oh, thou mighty man of valor. And I think Gideon did like, 
Who are you really? <laughs> that mighty, it can't be me. Because if, if, if I'm a man of valor, I won't be doing this in fear. But you see, what God was doing was giving him a picture of the person God is calling him or God wants him to be. And God will always challenge you and I to take a quantum leap from who you are today to who God wants you to be. That's why he says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. Praise the Lord. So repentance means to have a change of mind that leads to a change of conduct. The change of lifestyle. Meaning that there is no change except the mind changes. There is no change without repentance. It is repentance that produces salvation. It is repentance that produces a change of what? Conduct. Praise the Lord. It's okay. Let's move on. So why is repentance necessary? So there are several reasons why repentance is necessary in the life of any man. In fact, repentance is given so much prominence that the first sermon preached by our Lord Jesus after his baptism and testing in the wilderness was on repentance. Can we open to Matthew 4.17 real quick? That means the first area that Jesus pointed attention to was the area of repentance. Look at it in Matthew 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus began to call everyone to repentance. To have a change of mind. See, a change of mind means there is a release of new information. And now the mind has to change by that. You remember, you just break information down. It means something that you take in that changes your formation. Something you take in that changes your, changes your form. Your form refers to what? Your shape, your nomenclature, and your current, um, um, you know, your current substantive reality. But something you take in that alters or changes your formation. So there is a new shape, a new form, a new mindset that comes because of a new information that you take in that alters your shape or alters your form. So meaning that information can be so powerful that you can meet someone last week and by factor of new information they have ingested that leads to repentance, remember? Change of mind. The person you meet today is a different human being. He has not grown physically. He has not, uh, he's not physical in any way. It just means the internal construct, the internal, the mindset and that mindset determines how we express life. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so it is. So it means that that information alters or changes the thinking. That change is the repentance. So you see that repentance is not only just from sinner to the saint. For us to be a saint and to grow in our sainthood, repentance is for the entirety of our Christian experience. Every time we grow, it means we need, <laughs> repentance has taken place. A change of mind has taken place. That's why it is a foundation that is laid because it's something that will always show up in our journey and in our faith journey as we grow, as we mature, as we develop in Christ Jesus. Are we still here? So why repentance is necessary? He said in the first place, repentance must precede salvation or conversion. We saw that. Peter said that in Acts 3.19, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of the Lord, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. No one can be saved without first repenting of their sins. Have you seen Christians who have not really had a depth of repentance from their sin, and they claim they are Christians, but there is no evidence of a change of life. There is no evidence, there is no fruit. There is no proof because if repentance, I think there will be proof. What is the proof? A changed life. A changed life is the proof 
that true and genuine repentance has taken place. Are we still here? Are we still here? He said in the second place, repentance is necessary to prepare us for the kingdom. This is what Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is because only saved souls can enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you know one unique thing about the kingdom? Every kingdom on earth, you can be a citizen of that kingdom either by natural birth or by naturalization. Many of you that are seated here who carry American passports, you may not have been born here. You became a citizen of this kingdom by a process called naturalization. The other people who carry a green passport, uh, sorry, green. <laughs> That's the person I'm trying to run away from, by the way. <laughs> else who carries it, under the United States Constitution, you are an American if you are born in America, or if you are born of American citizens, let's say the father is a diplomat in Tahiti, and they give birth to the child there, that child, even though was not born on this soil, is a citizen by factor of the parents. Who are citizens. In fact, I think the American law is if one parent is a citizen, you know. So you wonder why some of us were born in Nigeria. <laughs> it is well. <laughs> it's for all good. It's for good. It's for good. Nigeria will be great. Don't worry. <laughs> Remember, co pastor says that, I think it's a co pastor that says, you know, that she was, he was someone in a. She was conceived abroad. <laughs> and they got into the aircraft and back to Nigeria. She was born. They're <laughs> like, ah, are your parents for real? <laughs> you know, yeah, it is well. Praise God. Praise the Lord. But the kingdom of God is unique because the only way into the kingdom is the way of repentance. You, are, you can only be a citizen of the kingdom through the new birth. There is no naturalization. You can't become a citizen by association. You can't even become a citizen by parentage. My father was a bishop. Therefore, um, no, 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 no. Except you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Except you are born of water, even of the spirit. So the only way is by the new birth. The only way is by repentance. Because this kingdom, all of us must carry the same DNA. And it is the DNA of our father. So it's a kingdom of sons. So it's citizenship and sonship in the kingdom together. But in every other kingdom, you can become a citizen. We can even be conferred on you. Maybe you did something excellent in some field and they say, oh, we are, we are honoring you with citizenship, you know, of a country. God says, it doesn't matter what you attain. <laughs> Except you are born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The only way is that there is regeneration that has taken place inside you. The third way, it is God's commandment that everybody must repent. Acts 17.30. In the days of ignorance, God winked at. But now he has commanded every man everywhere to repent. Because why? He has sent Jesus. The price has been paid. The gospel is being preached. The good news is being proclaimed. No man has an excuse before God that... The reason I didn't get saved is I didn't like this particular preacher. He talks too fast. So God says, ah, I have guys who talk slowly. <laughs> oh, I didn't like this preacher because of his skin color. I have others who are different. No excuse. No excuse. Nobody will say, oh, this because. No, no, no. God made sure in every tribe, in every tongue, in every kindred, in every, there will always be a proclaimer of the gospel of the kingdom of God so that man can, you see, it is God's grace 
diffused in diversity so that everybody will have an opportunity to encounter the saving grace of Christ. Are we still here? Are we still here? Can somebody tell us tonight what your own repentance experience was? Can you peel back the onion and just tell us? What was it like? Just, just short, short, you know, that time, that particular experience by which you now got saved. Can anybody share with us what it was like? That experience of repentance on that particular day. Do you know today I still remember the day I got saved. I still know the date. You know, I'm pastor was saying this some time ago. You know, and they say some people maybe they uh, they were born in, you know, if your parents are Christians and they, they led you to Christ when you were four, you may not remember. You know, but those of us who were already adults, before we get we know when God, we knew what we were doing before and we knew when the change happened. So can anybody share with us, you know, what that experience was like? Joshua. Oh, Pastor. Microphone. Yes, sir. Let Joshua tell us. Just briefly. Just tell us briefly. Praise the Lord. Um, I don't remember the exact dates, okay. but at least I, I still remember exactly where it happened. I was in um, I was in JS1 1998 <laughs> and uh, I I was in school government college so I have this brother from my church I still remember his name Samuel Ewe that's his name he would always come talk to me he goes to my church I think then he was like maybe SS2 or so he would always come talk to me and I think he was part of the people that my mom would always complain to. This boy is very stubborn. This boy is very stubborn. So every time he would talk, he would talk. I don't listen. But on this day, he dragged me. He said, Joshua, come. Let's go pray. So I followed him. And <laughs> when I got there that day, we started praying. We started praying. We started praying. And immediately, the conviction came upon me. I broke down. I started crying. I was weeping. And... Uh, it was the two of us. I also experienced the power of God very real that day. Every time I tried to stand up, it was like the Holy Spirit kept saying, stay down. <laughs> I got you today. Stay down. You know, I wept and wept and wept. And that was actually how I gave my life to Christ. So that was the turning point, the defining moment. Can we have a, a lady tell us our own experience? Sister Tosin, Sister Tosin is already looking away. Ah, this pastor shouldn't call me. <laughs> Please, very briefly, very briefly, very uh, briefly. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Like you said, um, mine happened like three times. Three think, times? Yes. I think the first time was when I was like age eight, nine, ten. A friend of mine in primary school was always telling me, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I think I gave my life to Christ then. Then another happened in when I was in secondary school, and I gave my life again. Then the last one was in 2000. <laughs> it was in 2000 because I don't know why I kept backsliding, let me put it that way. I, I've already finished um, my university then. I needed um, healing, let me put it that way. So a pastor came over to pray for me. So while she was praying, she administered the communion. That was when I started crying. And when I remember that experience, because God actually saved me from death on that day, each time I remember that experience, I tell myself, Tosin, you can't go back there anymore. And since then, even if, praise the Lord, but I always retrace my step back almost immediately because I keep remembering because that moment was a defining moment for me. Thank you. Do you remember the old fathers under the Old Testament? They used to build altars. Abraham built altars. Isaac built altars. And the altars were always like reference points for them. You know? And they were always like markers also within the context of their journey. 
And every time they will wander off the path, you notice they will always come back to some place where they had an encounter with God. Where there is a, Because that altar for them represents what? A defining moment. A landmark moment in their lives. You know, and I think that that's so powerful that God can do such a, stra- a powerful work within us that even when we stray from the path, there's something about the profundity of what was done within us that it somehow it will always pull us back to himself. And so all of us, I'm sure, have one experience or the other when you knew that day there was a time, you know, when that repentance was real to you. And you actually, you know, repented and you asked Jesus to flood your heart with his love. And he did. And since that time, you have been a child of God. Any questions, please? Any questions? Okay. So let us go on. Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. So we have seen the importance of repentance. We have seen that it is necessary. We have seen that there can be no salvation There can be no change of life. There can be no fruit of righteousness. Except their first is genuine repentance. Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. I wish these days, if you notice, in the old days, those old days, those, you know, before I became a Christian, I used to just look at Christians. And in those days, these things like this were very, very, very common. You know, when people come, they are crying. They are breaking down. They are asking God. And I remember being, I don't believe I those things used to make me laugh. I used to wonder what's wrong with them, you know. And, and, and until God catches up with you, you, you know, until God touches your heart, you never know why people respond in a certain way under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So tonight I want us to just um, appreciate, have a deep appreciation for repentance. The reason also is because Every time God wants to move you from one level to another, he will demand a certain level of repentance from you. Because it's like molting. It's like from one level, ah, I'm going to another level. It's not just changing your car. (laughs) It's actually changing your mind. It's actually repentance. When God shows, when truth comes to you, and then the word of God comes at another level, with a greater level of clarity, it adjusts your thinking. It shapes your perspective. And then you are able to, you know, move on to another mind, another life, and another kind of life, a higher kind of life is expressed. So said, so what's are involved in true repentance? There are three basic things, elements that are involved in true repentance. First, a change of attitude or a way of thinking. Meaning that there must be a change of thinking. You know, they've told us, basic, pretty much, the success motivation people have told us, pretty much, that you can never change anything except you change your thinking anyway. I remember someone saying that he did a study on billionaires. One of the shockers of that study was that he found out that all of them think alike. Regardless of which industry they are operating in, they found out that all of them think alike. He said one of the things he found out about them is that they value relationships. Because they recognize that relationship is capital. Relationship is money. Or sometimes more than money. Another thing he found out about them is that they give tips. (laughs) I'm like, oh, they give tips. Yeah, they, they, they are... You know, and you know, the tip for them is in a very, you know, it's generosity, but really strategic. (laughs) Exactly. They understand that when you tip people, there is a day you may need favor and you can call on it. You can only call on where you've made investment, isn't it? Then you make investment, then you can call on it. The people back in Africa have a proverb that when you pour cold water, you pour water, then you, walk, you can walk on very cool paths. So they found out that there are certain things. One of the things he found out about them is that all of them think big. 
Let me tell you another study. They found out that you cannot be president of America except you are extremely egoistic. In other words, you wake up one day, out of 300 plus million people, you tell yourself you are the best person to be their president and you run for president. Is that okay? Is that, that's some thinking. No humility. They said they found all presidents have one thing called they are all crazy. Because it takes a crazy man in that sense to wake up and say, I'm going to run for president. I'm going to be president. And you know, there are some of them, they say they want to, but when we look at them, we're like, you too. <laughs> you. <laughs> and some of the youths became president. So, there is a deep sense of self-belief that they found out that all of them have. That they believe that they can do it. And they put themselves out. And then they begin to campaign. Praise God. What I'm simply trying to say is that what photograph or picture do you have about yourself? Do you believe you can? Greater is he that is in than he that is in the world. So there has to be a change of thinking because our attitude is connected to our thinking. Mike Modoc made this analogy. He says a woman is tired, sits lying down on her sofa by 8 p.m. She's tired. Her husband says, make me dinner. She says, I'm too tired. Go do something for yourself. All I want to do is just sleep. He says, and then she gets a phone call from her friend. And her friend tells her, that favorite shop where we went, where we wanted to buy all those things, they are doing a 70% sale <laughs> right now. And if you get there between now and 10 p.m., that stuff of 2,000, you'll get it for 200. He said, I thought she was tired. <laughs> what changed? The information. It's just the information. New information comes into her mind. It activates the energy she thought she did not have. All of a sudden, she receives an anointing. <laughs> she jumps up, grabs your wallet. <laughs> And goes a shopping. Why? New information. So every time we tell ourselves we are tired, we are not really tired. Oh, okay, let me give you an example. If by 12 midnight today, after we finish this service, you go home, you've had dinner, you're about to sleep, you get a phone call. Somebody's calling you from Austin. Say, I just feel I need to bless you with $30,000. And I have it in cash. I'm flying out first thing tomorrow morning. If you drive to my house this night, you will pick up the money. <laughs> ah. oh. <laughs> <I> said that. <laughs> you buy coffee. You will be downing coffee. You will be awake. Whatever you, want to, whatever you need to do to be awake, you will do it. The motivation of the money. Why? A new information activates us. Energy is released. Don't you know, even the human body responds to the information on the mind. Somebody is thinking about bad things and their body begins to shrivel. You know, I, I was somewhere, someone was saying that a, a surgeon found out that when they operate, he wants the, the patient to confess that they will come out of the surgery alive. Because he found out that what controls the nerves, this entire human system, our body system, is connected to a particular nerve in our brain that, is, that responds to speech. So he said he will want them to say it so that the nerve can hear it. And when the nerve hears it, he sends that information to all the cells in their body. Because he found out that those who say they may not survive, don't survive. But those who say I will survive, they actually do survive. And it is scientific because the speech center in the brain connects to all the nerves in the body. So as a man think it, and he verbalizes it. So every cell picks up on it. 
energy is activated because there's a new information. Praise the Lord. True repentance also produces a hatred for sin and a love for holiness and purity. Love for holiness and purity because true repentance has taken place. Second, is an expression of sorrow for past wrongs. We talked about that. It's an expression of the sorrow of past wrongs. I feel bad about what I did. And I don't want to continue in it. There is a sense of sorrow about past wrongs, past lifestyle. Praise the Lord. I met someone in Lagos one time. He was, he was a cult guy in universities and colleges in Nigeria. You have what you call cults. You know, they call them different names. It's just guys gather together, do stuff, violence, and, and all of that. So this guy was a don in one of those cults. And so pretty much, we see a don those days. He doesn't even wash his own clothes when he's in college. People, he has guards around him 24-7. He's <laughs> so he said when he began to know Christ, he went to everywhere. He said as many people as he could trace because he had done a lot of bad stuff. <laughs> you know. Some he had to look for. He said, listen, I wronged you. I'm sorry. You know, something I did. He took responsibility for his past actions. Praise the Lord. Thirdly, a turning away from sin and a turning unto God. A turning away from sin and a turning to God. The devil is the author of sin. And he also is the one that has the power to keep people sinning. But whosoever repents, he's saying bye-bye to sin, bye-bye to Satan, and he's saying, God, I am here. God, you are welcome in my life and in my heart. Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. So those three basic elements are there. Change of attitude, change of thinking, expression of sorrow for past wrongs, and a turning away, a turning away from sin and the life of There is no way as a Christian you are, in, you are living in sin and you should be comfortable in it. Living in sin and comfortable in it. If you see some Christians, they are comfortable in certain sins. Sins of lying. Sexual sins. Like Pastor said the other day, somebody you are actively shacking with someone. You are not married and you are shacking up together. And you are comfortable in that. You shouldn't be. The scripture says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't be having that kind of relationship with someone you are not married to. It's for your own good. So if you are in that kind of thing, step out of it. Say, Pastor, I don't know how to step out of it. Oh, but you've never stepped in front of an 18-wheeler. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how. What do you mean you don't know how? You see an 18-wheeler coming, you quickly... <laughs> Come on now. That sin is an 18-wheeler. It will crush your dreams. Crush your heart. You're setting yourself up for heartache. Say, I'm broken. Why won't you be? If you are involved in something and God is tugging at your heart, God is trying to get across to you, it's time to change, and you persist in it, there are deadly consequences to that kind of behavior. Proverbs said, a man who is oftenet reproved and hardens his neck shall be cut off, and that suddenly. So, you cannot continue in certain, you can't. Have you noticed some people, they are very comfortable in debt. I'm sorry to say, but they borrow from this person, borrow from that person, and borrow. So that when the time they say they are going to repay, they just say, I forgot it. <laughs> How convenient. <laughs> you are the one borrowing from me, but you are <laughs> And I'm the one that is reminding you. <laughs> it's convenient for you to forget. Because you... So, there must be integrity in our dealings. How do we know you are changed? Jesus. John the Bible said, produce fruit fit for repentance. 
Do not say, we have Abraham as our father. He said, God is able of these same stones to raise up seed unto Abraham. Don't just claim, we are a Christian, no fruit. No change of lifestyle. No evidence that godly sorrow, that worked repentance unto salvation are taking place. No, there must be fruit. We can't be comfortable in certain things. Certain lifestyle. Certain associations too, by the way. Because if associations cause you to compromise your faith, it means that association is not good for you. Why don't you find people that will charge you up? Charge your spiritual batteries. People that will encourage you to prayer, to service, to the love of God. Praise God. <laughs> Some years ago, an old man, my neighbor, Nigeria, he said we should go and pray. <laughs> so we climbed the mountain to pray. This old man was praying in natural language. Me, I was praying in tongues. Now, by the time we prayed like two hours plus, I was tired. So, I started paying attention to his prayer. I realized he was still at introduction. He had not even started his prayer points. I said, what kind of old man is this? <laughs> ah! Tongues, oh! After two hours, my mouth was dry. So I listened to the old man. Oh, God, you are faithful. God, you are worthy. God, you are mighty. God, you are excellent. That day, I left him on the mountain. And I realized, this old man can pray. So, that experience, he stretched me. You know, you are, you are operating now out of your comfort zone. Because your comfort zone is two and a half hours, you are okay. You know. But this is a man who is doing... <laughs> it's, as in, it's not breaking a sweat. I told myself, I said, there is grace. Some people just have grace for certain things that we acknowledge. So, I may not kill myself to try because that day, I think I got to Z in my tongues. The last syllables, <laughs> syllable of tongue. From A to Z, 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 That was it. And this old man was just like in gear one. God, what kind of an old man is this? You know? <laughs> so, sometimes, you know, we need to work with people that stretch us. That shows you you have not arrived. That there, there are still many, many more lands to conquer. The Bible says God told um, Joshua, you know, showed him all the kings he had taken. I said, there are, there are still many men. Don't, I look at a trophy cabinet, but put it aside. Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind and looking for things that then we are pressing forward because someone else is challenging you at a higher level. Praise the Lord. What are the results of true repentance? True repentance brings pardon and blotting out of our sins. You see that's in Acts chapter 3 verse 19. So note that true repentance merely prepares the way for forgiveness. It is not the forgiveness itself. When you repent, it means you receive forgiveness. Praise the Lord. He said praise the Lord. Can you imagine someone... You know, it is the pride of the human heart that a person will not repent. In fact, to, yes, the other day I was watching sentencing of some people who did some horrible crime. And I was just looking at, are they remorseful? Are they showing any sign that, yeah, they did what was really terrible. But was there any sign in them to show? And when the judge was reading the judgment... The judge made a distinction between apology and remorse that I'd never seen before. He said, apology says, he's saying you are sorry. But remorse is showing that you are sorry. He said, there's something about remorse that shows in your demeanor, in your conduct, in your body language. He said, in fact, apology can be said just because you want to escape the consequence. 
He said, but genuine, so it was akin to describing godly sorrow. That there is a sense of remorse. There is a sense of, no, 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 this was wrong, you know. And then that person receives pardon. So, the results of it is that we receive forgiveness because anyone who repents, God will receive them and you'll be the friend of God. God is amazing. You know, the kind of heart that God has is not logical. You know, this, the prodigal son story we, we study about, it's not about the prodigal son. The, the, more, the, the real character God wanted to project was the heart of the father. Give me the portion of, of goods that belong to me, the younger son said. And the father gave him. And he went and he spent it and then squandered the whole thing and came back. <laughs> came back. Came back. And when he was afar off, his father saw him and went to meet him. And then, I don't want to come back as a son. I've lost the, I've messed that up. Just receive me as a, as a servant. The father said, no. <laughs> you are still my son. You were dead, but you've come back to life. And then he clothes him with a robe. You see, he comes back bearing the scars of his... <laughs> you know, when a person <laughs> is in the ecosystem, when pigs are at a higher level... <laughs> Because the Bible said that uh, even the things the pigs were eating, he longed for it, but no man gave him. You know, that was how low he fell. And I asked myself a question, and I think we should be very sincere about this. If I was a father and my son did that to me, hmm, will, I, will I display the heart that this man Receives him back and threw a party for him. The fattest calf. Many of us fathers, the fattest king. You messed up. You really messed up. And this father receives this child. And through a party, he said, I'm welcoming a son that was dead who has come back to life. You see, we always judge ourselves by God's standards. Not by human standards. But by the standards of God. That is a standard of God's heart. Shown into, in a certain, to a certain extent in that parable. That, that heart of a person. This, this is not, listen, I don't think you get it. This is not a son that made a mistake. He walked right into the error with his eyes open. It's not like, you know, he said he just stormed. No, 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 no. Give me the portion of it. Collected it and went. And so it's not, he, he, he blew it. And yet there was always, you know, I think about the fact that he could always go back home. And I challenge us parents. Let there always be a home for our children. No matter where they are, they should be able to come home because there's always a heart and a love that is waiting for them. That's one of the fruits of repentance because you become the friend of God. Abraham became God's friend. Remember? Abraham became the friend of God. He said, shall I hide this thing from Abraham that I'm about to do? Seeing that his children will become real and he will instruct his children to keep the commandment of the Lord that the Lord will perform the that we are said concerning him. So God said, I've come down now. I need to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. They've done stuff. And then the old man began to intercede. If you find 50, God said, I will spare. They began the transaction. And I think they came down to, eh? is it five or ten? Bible scholars. They came back to five or ten. Somebody check it real quick because I've forgotten what it is. They came back to 10, but they couldn't even find 10 there, you know, because God found a man he could, he could talk to. Moses was another man. God said, move out of the way. Let me destroy that and I'll make nations mightier than, God said, the nations we say you were unable to bring them to the land. That's why you slew them in the wilderness. 
And the Bible says, and God repented of the evil that he thought to do to them. Because one man was in the place of friendship with God. God could share his heart. God could reveal things to him that is not accessible to every other person. God could tell Abraham his plans. God, he said, come, let us reason together. Do you want to be a friend of God? Do you want to be a friend of God? Our father and Lord told us a story in camp. So one day he went, you know, he would go into the bush hours to pray. Totally dark. He said all the torchlights he held that day died, the batteries. So he was in the bush, middle of nowhere. He didn't even know how to go back home. <laughs> in thick darkness, in the bush. <laughs> he said while he was there, he was just talking to God. He was in that situation. He said, and all of a sudden, the moon appeared from nowhere. And light came. He said that light was God giving him a direction. And in the light of that light that God, he said suddenly God just brought that light supernaturally and he was able to find his way. That's what it means to be a friend of God. The things that God will not ordinarily do with everybody. You enjoy certain privileges because of the relationship and the level of trust that God has. Praise God. He said, how can I truly repent? When the person hears the message of the kingdom, the Holy Spirit convinces them of their sin, leading to great sorrow of heart that finally leads to repentance. So we see the role of the Holy Spirit in repentance. He is the one that convicts. No man can say Jesus is Lord, 1 Corinthians 12, except by the Spirit. So nobody can be saved except the action and the working of the Holy Spirit upon the human heart. You know, we had Idato said the human heart is corrupt. One of the issues of the human heart is this a capacity for self-deceit. If man's heart is wicked, who can know it? Meaning that it takes God to reveal the condition of your heart to you for you to even know what is in the content of your own heart. So the Holy Ghost begins to brood on our heart, just as he brooded on the earth in the beginning. And out of that brooding, he said, let there be light. And out of the Holy Ghost brooding, the light of the revelation of the condition of your state and of your heart becomes apparent to you. Through the action of the Holy Spirit, and that produces repentance that leads to salvation. Are we still here? Sorrow is brutal to repentance. And there has to be a decision that you will live a brand new life in Christ. So true repentance is actually a gift from God through the walking of the Holy Spirit. True repentance is actually a gift from the Holy Spirit. I don't know about if, whether the Holy Spirit has ever, you know, something happened during the day. Maybe you had a conversation with someone or some action you took or didn't take. And somewhere along the day, the Holy Spirit reminds you that action, you need to adjust it. Yeah. Or maybe you should have said something or not even maybe you even did anything wrong. But now he's telling you what he wants you to do relative to that situation and relative to that, you know, to that person. This is the words you need to speak, you know, and things like that. And then you are having to now re. Re means you're having to go back to make an adjustment in terms of your action, in terms of your engagement, in terms of how you did certain things, because now the Holy Spirit is showing you this is the right thing that you are supposed to do. Are we still here? Come on, are we still here? So this gift of repentance is from the Holy Spirit. Acts eleven eighteen, Acts chapter 11 and verse 18. I want us to read that portion of scripture, Acts eleven, eighteen. And when they heard, heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then God had also granted God also, then had God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Do you see the way the inspired writer puts it in another this another 
uh, way, put in another way. On one side, he said his repentance unto salvation. Here he says his repentance unto life. Remember, the Greek word for life, New Testament, is Zoe. Zoe simply means the life of God. It is that life that is put in our hearts at the new birth. Titus 3.5, we are saved by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's the life that the Holy Ghost imparts into our spirit that causes us to come alive with the very life of God. So it says in this verse, repentance unto life. So that what is now received is the very life of God. And then that life of God is now expressed in righteousness and in holy living. May the Lord help us in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You know, I always shudder to think of some people that said, if I had an opportunity, what I did five years ago, I would do exactly the same thing. It just means you never grew. Because if you are growing, when you look back at five years, believe you me, you will see things you will have done differently. So they say to make it look like, you know, but it's actually a statement that is made out of obstinacy. That if I look back 10 years, I will do exactly what, of course there are some decisions agreed that you took five years, if you look back, I took the right decision, all good and well. But there are certain things that you and I did that we look back and say, no, I could have done better. I know better now. I have grown. I have learned some more things. God has humbled me more in some areas. And if I was to look back, I will handle the situation with maybe more compassion, maybe with more wisdom, maybe with more sensitivity. Or maybe I will have been a little more patient with the people when they were, you know, manifesting their own uh, manifestation. Are we still here? You know, so every time we grow, we look back and see things that we can do differently because we have actually grown and we have learned. Praise the Lord. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We encourage you to fellowship with us here at Salvation Center if you are in the San Antonio area. For more information, visit our website at www.rccgsanantonio.org.